0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, today on the podcast, we pick up with part two of the podcast we started last week called Pandemic Positives. I know this is a negative time. It's a difficult time. I know that many people are facing health crises, economic crises, and churches and ministry organizations are going through a tremendous upheaval. I know there's a lot of negativity right now. However, there are some positive aspects of the pandemic, some things that we're learning, some things that are changing, some things that we're doing differently and can continue to do differently going forward. And I'm highlighting those on the podcast last week and again this week. Now, if you did not hear last week's podcast, just a brief review, I mentioned last week that uh, the podcast has revealed that we have an overdependence on attraction models of church ministry. This has been exposed and corrected. We are, secondly, learning about the danger of significant church debt. And I talked last week on the podcast about uh, the importance of managing debt wisely and of understanding when debt is appropriate and of being warned about the difficulties that debt can bring to churches and ministry organizations. And while you may be struggling under the bondage of that today, uh, if you're not, I hope you'll learn from this pandemic experience even more so the dangers of going down that path. And then finally, last week, I talked about the fact that pandemic has revealed that some functions are less essential than others, and some activities need to be stopped. And I counseled last week that uh, these less essential activities and active uh, that have been stopped and less essential functions that we've been performing uh, now that they've gone away, they don't need to come back. So our goal is not to get those things restored it's to move on from them and not spend money our people resources on those things any longer. Now I also talked last week about the importance of not trying to go back to what we might think of as normal, but instead, thinking in terms of going forward to what what I would call a new normal. And I also warned you last week about being that person who resists change. Church leaders love to talk about people in the church that don't want to make change, but we don't want to fall into that same category of saying, I like the way things used to be. I want to get back to the way things have always been. I don't want to make these changes. No. Wise leaders embrace the pandemic positives, learn from them, and go forward aggressively to be different when this experience is over. So last week, three pandemic positives, and then today I want to talk about three more. Number four on our list is that the pandemic has created, or forced, or made possible a rediscovery of pastoral care as a priority function Of pastors and church leaders pastoral care as a priority function now pastors do three things lead teach care now I first learned those three words in a pastoral ministry class from a pastoral ministry textbook probably written 50 years ago But when you look back over the centuries of pastoral ministry and the writings about what pastors do, those are the three classic words used to describe pastoral function. Lead, teach, care. Now, the the best diagram of these is actually three circles that interlock and overlap. So it's lead, teach, care, care. Interlocking, interweaving, overlapping. Notice the order that I used with the three words lead, teach, care. Quite frankly, I use that order because that's the order at which I am best at performing pastoral functions lead, teach, care. I'm the best of those three things at leading. I'm second best of those three things at teaching, and I am third best, and in my case, it is a distant third best, at caring. I know this may surprise some of you, but I am a typically driven, project-oriented, get-the-task-done kind of guy. And so learning the caring aspects of pastoral ministry have been both challenging and important for me. Now, when I first started out in pastoral ministry, this was a significant deficiency in my life. I understood something about leading. I was passionate about teaching, but I really did not value nor know how to do pastoral care. But God wanted to fix that. And so he sent me to my first pastorate, Green Valley Baptist Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And of the many characteristics of that church that could be identified, one was very significant. It was a relationally focused, in fact, I would even say a relationally driven church. So here I am, a person with low value on caring and low skills of pastoral care thrust into a congregation that values those things more highly than teaching or leading. Caring was their first value they expected from their pastor. And quite honestly, in the first few years, it was a tussle, a lot of conflict, and a lot of difficult time for me as I was trying to grapple with what was happening and why I wasn't able to meet the needs of this church family. But through seminary training, a good doctoral program, the love of my wife, the patience of of many of my members and this is the hardest one confrontation from some people who cared enough about me to point out this deficiency in my life and demand that it change those five factors helped me to reshape my understanding of pastoral ministry so that lead teach and care all became very valuable to me and very important parts of my overall understanding of what it meant to be a pastor. Now, generally speaking, today, we have emphasized leading and teaching in American pastoral ministry models to the minimization, I won't say exclusion, that's too strong a word, but to the minimizing of caring. This is because we have typically uh, exalted or lifted up a CEO model of vision-casting communicators as pastors. Now, We need these guys. We need vision-casting communicators. We need people who have capacity to envision and communicate in significant ways dramatic change and dramatic uh, uh, progress for the church. So please don't hear me saying those things are bad. We need those things. But what's often unseen is that the most effective of these, of these leader, teacher, visionary communicators, the most effective of them, are also, in some context, really good at pastoral care. And people around them really believe they love them, they care for them, they value them, and they want the best for them. Now, if you're in a very large church, you're typically, as the leader, not doing that for thousands of people, but you are doing it for a few people right around you and modeling it in such a way that it cascades out from you and out through the other leaders of your church and through the culture of who you are as an organization and makes a difference in the lives of people. So I think it's a fallacy to say that some pastoral leaders are good at leading and teaching and don't have to even think about caring. That's not really true. While it may not be as visible in what they do, it's still a part of who they are. So lead, teach, care are all three important functions of pastoral ministry and of church ministry. During the pandemic, caring has reemerged as a primary task of pastors, and I am delighted for this and hope it will continue. Pastors have had to think of, creative ways to extend care into the lives of people, and they've been doing it. I know one pastor, for example, who's creating a weekly video devotional that he sends out that motivates and encourages his church family. I know another uh, leader who sat down and just started calling people and ultimately called over 500 people and asked them the question, how are you doing and how can I help you? They understood the pandemic restrictions, but just the fact that someone in leadership called them and took the initiative to make that many phone calls touched them profoundly and demonstrated the care to them. Uh, I know another leader who has had to deal with multiple funerals during the pandemic. And in the context of doing that, their church has created some protocols whereby people could come to express grief and uh, communicate condolences in small groups of less than 10. And the church went to some effort to be able to organize people to be able to come in groups and do that for families in their churches in their church that were hurting. So I've watched pastors by video means, by telephonic means, by, organize, uh, by organizational means. I've watched pastors aggressively reach out to people and provide the kind of care they need during this time. But here's the best part. I've had a number of pastors tell me in either email or in conversation how much this has meant to them. One pastor said, you know, I've been so caught up in leading these projects and managing my staff and working with all the things that are going on in our ministry and in our community that I forgot how enjoyable it was to hold someone's hand and pray for them before they went into the hospital or to sit down with a grieving person and just listen to them as they poured out their heart and talked with me about how they were hurting. He said, man, I had forgotten how much that meant to me and how much I enjoyed that as a part of being a pastor, and I want to recapture that as a focus of what I do going forward. So one of the pandemic positives is is a rediscovery of pastoral care as a primary function of pastors and other ministry leaders and of getting really directly engaged with people and in in doing that, both meeting their needs, but also rediscovering uh, a profound joy that comes from being intimately and emotionally involved with the people that we care for. All right, number five. A fifth pandemic positive is that the importance of stewardship has been underscored and the importance of stewardship development has been magnified. Now, there's really two approaches, broad based approaches, that churches take in relationship to uh, gathering resources for ministry. One is called stewardship development, where you take a proactive uh, uh, approach to shaping people as stewards and helping them to understand the total picture of biblical stewardship, and then as a part of that, seeing them contribute out of their resources for the furtherance of the ministry you're leading. That's stewardship development. The other broad category is called fundraising. And frankly, organizations like Gateway do that. We we do fundraising where we just simply ask people for money and they give it to us. We don't have a stewardship development program, so to speak, like a church might have. But when churches use the fundraising approach, what they typically do is consistently ask people to give, to give, to give, and typically they do that in the context of some need or some crisis that they're trying to meet. And so there's this perpetual fundraising that's going on to try to meet the needs of the church or its ministry. And sometimes that perpetual fundraising even spills over into things like bake sales and uh, Yard sales, or uh, other kinds of fundraising projects that a church will do, even things like bingo nights or things like that, uh, to raise money for a church. So there are two broad ways that churches fund themselves: stewardship development are through fundraising projects. Now the pandemic has revealed, the pandemic has revealed the high the value of stewardship development in churches. How so? Well, first of all, churches that emphasize stewardship development have people, church families, that are much more financially stable and much better prepared to handle an economic downturn like we're experiencing right now. Churches that emphasize stewardship development talk about more than just giving money to the church. They talk about saving spending, and giving as the three primary ways that resources must be managed appropriately as stewards. So when a family makes giving their priority, saving their next priority, and spending their third priority, and they've done that say for one, two, five, ten years, when an economic downturn comes, they are much better prepared financially because they've been saving, so they have some resources, They have been spending, but more frugally than they could, which establishes a pattern of frugality they can enhance during a pandemic time or an economic downturn. And they have established giving not as an afterthought or in response to a crisis, but as a regular routine part of what they do. As I've said uh, to some friends recently, I'm not concerned about stewards not giving during the pandemic. Now, I am concerned about stewards who lose their jobs and have to give less during the pandemic, and my heart certainly goes out to them, but stewards don't make giving decisions based on circumstances. They make them based on principle and on practice, and so, for example, in our family, we uh, we, we, we practice biblical stewardship. We give, save, and spend. And during the pandemic, we've had to restrict some of our spending, to be sure. We're being more cautious and more careful. But because I'm still employed, our giving hasn't changed. So we're still giving, we're still saving, and we're still spending, but even more frugally than before because we realize some of these things may take months to resolve. A steward thinks that way. And if you're a pastor and you've been training people as biblical stewards in your church for the last one, three, five, ten years... You're seeing the fruit of that right now as people are, have a stability they might not otherwise have. Another reason that churches that emphasize stewardship are stronger right now is because church finances, based on stewardship principles, are also much more stable. Now, while family finances and church finances are certainly not exactly the same, uh, there are some patterns that are similar. For example, churches should give, save, and spend in that order just like families. And so when you give away your missions money first and you save money to pay for things that you know are coming, like major capital projects or other things that are going to be in front of you as a church, and then you spend the balance, well, during an economic downturn like this, you can make the necessary adjustments without compromising those core commitments of stewardship. Because you have saved in the past, you're ready to offset some of the losses now with your savings. And because you've been frugal in spending in the past, you can, you've established that pattern already. You can enhance that going forward by being even more frugal. And you're giving because it's foundational and convictional. You just keep on giving and keep on doing what you know you're supposed to do in that regard. Now, I will say, particularly in our Southern Baptist tradition, that the cooperative program giving that we do, which is our primary means of missions giving, is often based on a percentage of income. And this is part of the genius of our program. And that is, as church income goes down, so does missions giving. And that's perfectly normal and, frankly, perfectly acceptable. I I have no difficulty as as a receiver of the cooperative program receiving less as long as the churches are receiving less because I know they're hurting. Guess what? I should be hurting a little bit too. But the pattern is established, and so churches are able to just keep following that pattern, keep giving, keep saving, keep spending. Now, churches that are full of stewards are much better able to handle this kind of downturn because of these reasons. Family finances and church finances both reflect the biblical stewardship that you've been teaching and preaching. Now, you say, well, I haven't been doing that. Mm-hmm. Then you're having some real, troubles, real struggles right now. If you've been depending on the fundraising model, you are in a really difficult spot right now because people simply do not respond well to appeals to give to ministry organizations when they are themselves hurting in fact what they would look to now you you as a church organization to do is to be a blessing back to them not be asking of them to do even more during this time i know we've done that here at the seminary Uh, We we switched our spring fundraising campaign away from giving to the institution and instead asked people to give to student benevolence and student scholarship funds because we wanted to say the institution is prepared to handle this downturn, but students are going to need all the help we can get to them. And so we shifted our focus into a giving away mode, not a gathering mode, and people responded very, very strongly to that. But if you're in a position right now where you're having to fundraise you're probably facing some serious pushback and some uh, potential economic calamity in your organization. So what can you learn from this? Well, you can't fix it overnight, but you can start emphasizing biblical stewardship. I believe every church should have an ongoing, consistent stewardship development program, and there is no excuse for not having one of them. Uh, There are multiple video-based curriculums that are out there that are really excellent that help get this job done. Pick one you like and commit to using it for the next five years, teaching through it at least twice a year in some context and letting people start moving toward the process of establishing biblical stewardship in their lives. I think about my friend Cecil Sims. He was a stewardship development expert and passionate about the task. When he retired from being the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention, we actually hired him on an expenses-only basis to go out and do stewardship development in churches and help pastors to set up these kind of programs that I'm describing to you on this podcast. One day I was uh, with Cecil when a younger pastor came up to him and said, Hey, Cecil, uh, some people have told me that... uh, that uh, you could help me with some financial situations in my church. And Cecil said, well, I'd be glad to try. And he said, uh, well, I I really need to raise money for this project and this facility and this uh, activity. And Cecil said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Well, I kind of looked at him like, what do you mean you can't help him? That's why we have you on an expense account, so you can help churches like this. He said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. The pastor was a bit dumbfounded and said, well, what do you mean you, you can't help me? I, I thought you, you helped churches with stewardship development. And Cecil smiled and said, oh, I do that. Now, he said, if you need help with fundraising, I'm not your guy. But if you want help with stewardship development, I'll be at your office tomorrow, and we'll get this mapped out, and we'll get it started. He smiled and said, I just want you to understand there's a difference between raising money and raising stewards. I don't really have much interest in raising money but I will definitely give you all the help I can to help you raise stewards. So I would say that from this pandemic experience, I hope more and more churches will learn of the importance of raising stewards and commit to the long-term prospects and process of stewardship development so that in one, three, five, ten 10 years, you'll see a dramatic difference in your church because of your emphasis on stewardship development. Well, finally, one last pandemic positive is that the pandemic has, has uh, unleashed new creativity, particularly in the use of technology to advance church and ministry organizations. Many churches during the pandemic have moved into electronic communication and electronic uh, giving and other electronic ministry means for the very first time. I was told that the North American Mission Board, for example, sponsored a webinar on uh, electronic giving, and over 1,000 churches accessed that webinar. So I know that many churches for the first time are moving into electronic communication, electronic giving, and other means of electronic support for their ministry. And this is, by the way, a very good thing. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, it's a good thing for now, but I'll be glad when we get past this. Well, let me give you this encouragement. You're not going to get past this. And in fact, I think you're very unwise if you, try to, if you get away from electronic communication going forward. What do I mean? Do I mean that you should stop having worship services and just preach over a computer? No, I don't mean that. But I do think that you're going to, in the future, be expected by most church members to provide your message and other ministry opportunities not only in a live format but also in some kind of video-based format. And this is really a good thing because even though you may return to public worship services and live preaching, for example, there are always people that are a part of your church that can't participate in any particular in a particular Sunday worship service sometimes there's work conflicts there's illnesses there's illnesses in families there's travel re- requirements or responsibilities all kinds of reasons why people will want to be able to access uh, your worship services and other ministry opportunities electronically going forward and i i think there's even been the discovery that some of this even has some evangelistic import that we need to own two examples. Uh, I'm familiar with a church here in the West that never has more than 100 people in their worship services. But they've been averaging about 1,500 logins a week to watch their electronic worship service. They're in a relatively small town. Uh, They are the main evangelical church there, even with an attendance under 100. And so the community has embraced this is the opportunity that they have for virtual church in their own community, and they're watching it. A second example is I talked with a person who said that her husband, who's not a Christian, had been watching virtual church with her at his initiative every week during the pandemic. And while he said, I don't really want to go to church, I, I do really want to listen, and I do really want to hear what they have to say. Now, I'm not saying that he shouldn't come to church, but I am saying if he won't come, isn't a good first step getting the gospel to him by this electronic means. So I am fully embracing, and I can't wait, frankly, to get back to live church and live preaching and all that goes with that. But the churches that have learned how to do electronic church well are going to continue to either live stream or video and make accessible to their members their worship services in the future. But beyond that, There's also some other creative things that I've seen done that I think have import for the future. For example, my wife has been teaching her children's Bible class by Zoom. Uh, She sends out the materials to the parents. In some cases, she actually hand hand delivers, meaning she drops off at their door a packet sometime during the week. And then on Saturday afternoon, she has uh, Ann's Bible class, and all these children log in, and they're all on the Zoom screen, and they have their activity packets, and she teaches, and then they open up their activity packets, and they take out their sheets, or they take out their craft supplies, and they do these things together. Now, frankly, I've been a bit uh, uh, amazed at my wife's uh, effort at this. Uh, We're in a church plant uh, that already meets in rented facilities and hasn't been able to meet for weeks. Uh, The commitment level of people who are participating, uh, especially from the community, is pretty limited. And so for my wife to go the extra mile and make this class happen has been exciting, uh, has been an example of sacrificial service. And quite frankly, I've been kind of amazed by the whole thing. Here's another one. Uh, One of the Western state conventions has started having a weekly Zoom prayer call with pastors. I was invited one week to come on and do about a five to seven minute devotional and participate in the prayer meeting with the brothers and about 50 guys uh, logged in. uh, And not just to hear me or for that reason at all, that's about how many log in every week. And the state executive uh, works through a prayer list and then he calls on different ones to lead in prayer. And it's a a wonderful and powerful thing. And I, I just thought, wow, this doesn't need to stop when the pandemic is over. This is another way to network pastors, to help them see each other face-to-face, and to get them talking to one another and praying with each other. And I think that kind of associational or state convention kind of prayer meeting going forward or kind of support system for pastors going forward is only going to continue. And so the the creativity that's been unleashed and the new ways that technology is being used in worship services, Bible studies, devotionals, prayer meetings— Uh, all of these things can be a part of our ministry strategies going forward. And the pandemic has forced many church members to learn new technology. I remember the first Zoom uh, Bible study that we had at our church, and a lot of the members had never been on a Zoom call before, and it was pretty comical, that first one. But by the second or third one, everyone was becoming familiar and comfortable with the technology, and it became a very meaningful way uh, to do ministry. Here even at at the seminary, we had our spring board meeting by a Zoom call. And while I still think there's great value in the trustees getting together on a periodic basis, uh, because of the strong relationships that exist in that group, we were able to go to a Zoom format really without a lot of difficulty and so I think even as you consider elders meetings and deacons meetings and other meetings going forward, and you have a deacon that travels for, for work or an elder that has to be out of town for work, there's no reason why they can't participate fully in meetings going forward as we try to move toward these kind of formats where you have a live group meeting together and one or two people joining by a Zoom call. So all of this creativity that's been unleashed by the pandemic, we have to own it and not think in terms of, I can't wait to get past all this and not have to do all this again. Instead, think in ways of how are we going to maximize this going forward and how can this become a regular part of using technology to further the ministry of our church in the future? Well, the pandemic has a lot of negative, no question about it. Illness, death, economic setbacks, uh, interpersonal struggles, church and ministry turmoil, I get it, a lot of negative. But in the context of what's happened to us, there are some positives that are emerging that if we will embrace them, they can be part of our long-term ministry strategies and we can use them for our benefit as we lead on.